Well, that, of course, was a clip from uh, the 2006 film, I believe, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Great film. Great film. And if you're not familiar with it, it is a film about, I guess it's an understatement to say, a dysfunctional family. Uh, this is a family uh, that really has some issues. And without going too much into it, one of the things you learn early on is this is a group of people who really have no relationship, no connection with one another. They're very isolated from one another. But on this kind of freakish turn of events, the, the daughter, Olive, uh, gets invited to be a, uh, content, uh, a contestant at the Little Miss Sunshine pageant, 800 miles away. And so as a family, they decide to take her there. And what's really interesting about the show, or about the movie, is that by the end, you realize that at the end of the day, it's, it's not really about whether or not they reach their goal. It's about what happens, the dynamic that takes place in their relationships along the way. That as you kind of begin to see in this, this scene where they work together to get the van on the road, um, they begin to increasingly become connected to one another, not isolated, a family. Well, we are uh, continuing, or I'm sorry, we're beginning a new series where uh, we are going to be looking at the five core values of our community of faith at Koinos. We're calling it identity. And we're going to take the next five weeks, and we're going to look at kind of what makes us us. And we felt like this was kind of a good time to do it. You know, we're, we're starting a new school year. The fall is kind of a busy time. We're kind of getting things uh, settled in for, for what's going to happen for the rest of the year. We, we've just hired on uh, Andrew Carpenter, and uh, we're kind of getting some some rhythms going as far as that goes, and we just thought this is a good time to kind of stop and go, who are we and, and why do we exist? What do we feel called to as a community? And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks in these series. Now, a word about terms. Um, so we're looking at the, our core values, the, the things that kind of make us tick, but this is different than kind of our mission statement. Um, but just so you know, we are all on, I know some of you, if you've been around for a while, you've seen this. If you're new, this will be new. But I wanted to share that this morning. Our mission statement as a church is to authentically engage everyday people in transforming relationships with Christ and others. This is what we feel called to, that we want to reach everyday people, normal people, people like, like you, like your neighbor, your coworker, your friends, your family, often people who don't think church has much to say to them. Maybe they've had experiences with church that haven't been good, or, or maybe they haven't, but they just don't feel like there's really much here for them. And yet they're, they're open, they're, they're interested, they're curious spiritually. Maybe you've had some conversations. We want this to be a place that really connects with normal people. And we also believe, you see the transforming relationships with Christ and others, that, that the vehicle for that, the vehicle for people getting connected and experiencing life change is primarily through relationships. It happens through connections with people. Not through programming and, and fancy ways that we kind of communicate all of that stuff, but, but through real, open, honest relationships with other people who are asking the same, same kind of questions moving in the same direction. There's a quote by an author, pastor, a guy named Eugene Peterson, in a book called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. 
he says this. He says, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion and embrace of community. I'm not, I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting in which Christ is at play. I love that sentence, I am not myself by myself. That there's some way in which we cannot fully realize all that we were created to be on our own. That we need one another. We need community. And so we're going to begin, as we kind of look at what it means, like what defines us as a community, by looking at the idea of relationships. Uh, quickly, I'm going to throw up the, uh, the core values here. We, again, we have five. And these are, you know, these are listed, if, if you ever come to things like Envision, which is our every year in January, we do kind of a big kickoff of the year where we talk about some practical things like budgeting, but we also talk about what's going on in, in the church that year. Um, we, you'll see this on documents. But this has been a part of our DNA ever since our inception. And these values are relational, culturally relevant, Christ-centered, authentic and honest, approachable and open. Now, I'm not going to kind of break down, spend any time on, on the others this morning, because, again, we're going to take a whole Sunday on each of them over the next couple of weeks. But this morning, we're going to look at the value of being relational. So what exactly do we mean by that? And I think, I mean, we could probably talk about a bunch of different things that that means, but primarily, we believe that we were not made to thrive in isolation from one another. We were made to thrive, to be fully alive. As we learn to live in the way of Jesus in community with other people. That the conduit for God's work in us and in the world largely happens when there's human beings listening to one another, laughing, praying, hurting one another and asking for forgiveness and receiving it, that in the messy, often difficult, but also beautiful interactions that happen between humans, that that is the place where we experience life change. Yes, there are, there are important things that we do as individuals along the way, but this is not just an isolated experience. We were meant to thrive in community. So why is this such a strong value? Uh, there's kind of two things I want to look at that explain kind of why th this matters to us, why we think this matters so much. The first of all, or the first thing, I'm sorry, is that we believe that relationships are at the core of reality. That this is not just kind of a spiritual idea, but this is how the universe is designed. So if, if you're familiar with scripture, there's this biblical concept that, um, that Christians have kind of wrestled with, have thought about for millennia, for as long as there have been Christians. And it's this idea of the Trinity. The Trinity is this, this view of God that while God is one, God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that these three persons exist in self-giving love with one another. That they're just the, the very kind of core of the origin of 
all things that are real is this self-giving love relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. That that is where it all began. That is what holds it all together. We see this in a couple of different places. I'm look real quickly at him. Um, so there's a book in the very beginning of the Bible called Genesis. It's about origins. And in it, we learn lots about the origin of the people of Israel, but we also learn about the origin of all things. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So immediately, we're introduced to God. Now, if you're interested, the, the, he, the word there for God is Elohim, which is actually a plural word. It's a plural word. It, it actually means gods, but it's referring to the one God. So there's this plural kind of understanding of the one God. None of this is, like, simple. It's all very mysterious and complex. People have wrestled with it for years. Um, but it, there's this kind of plural understanding of the one God who creates everything. And you see hints at what that's all about, right? Because we see that God creates it, and then the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. So there's God, and there's the Spirit of God. Now, as we read along, we get in, in Scripture, we come to one of the, the biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of John. And John opens his his biography, his gospel, with echoes of Genesis. He opens it this way. Again, it'll, it'll be up on the screen for you to follow along here. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And then I forgot to put it up here, but if you skip down to verse 14, he says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So when John is introducing Jesus, which is who he's referring to when he talks about the word, he does it in this kind of, these echoes of creation. And says that in the very beginning, when God is creating all things, and the spirit of God is present, Jesus is also present. God the Son. And, and so there's this three persons that are all at work in creation in this remarkable and mysterious way. And I would like to describe it using some analogy that makes perfect sense. Lots of people have tried, but none of them really work because it's hard to wrap your mind around a God who is one but is three and is kind of fully, fully God, fully Jesus, fully the Spirit, like, they're not just kind of parts of God, they're fully God. That when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the Spirit, when we encounter God the Father, we encounter God. But that experience is different for us. So I would love to explain that in a way that you're like, oh, that makes sense. I got nothing for you. There's really, really smart people for years and years have worked really hard on that, and there's not a great way to wrap your head around it. It's a mystery. But this is how scripture reveals God to us, as this three persons living in self-giving love with one another. 19th century pastor and author George MacDonald wrote a bunch of fantasy novels, also did some theology and was a pastor. He said that 
the very love of God. You know, it talks about the, the unfailing love. John talks about the, the unfailing love and faithfulness of Jesus, the word in the beginning. George MacDonald says, this unfailing love is what unites the universe, that without it, there would be no universe, that it's that that kind of holds all things together. And so if you believe that, then what that says is the very nature of all things is loving relationship, that that is the core of reality. That is the key to all of life, and it is the key to what it means to be a human being. Because as humans, we were made to, to reflect God. We talked earlier about reflecting God's generosity, but we're made to reflect God in all ways. That as we grow spiritually, we become increasingly people who look like the one who made us. And so it only makes sense that we thrive, we become more fully ourselves, right? Eugene Peter says, Peterson said, I am not myself by myself. This is what he's getting at. We can't fully become who we were created to be on our own. That comes out in the context of relationships. And so relationships are key. But there's a second reason why we think relationships are key. And that's because we think relationships are at the core of Christ's plan for us to bring his light to the world. That it, it's a core part of, for lack of a better word, the mission, the call to be a light to the world. That that happens fundamentally in relationships. By now, you are probably familiar with um, the names Mark and Megan Short. Um, if you're not, maybe you've seen their picture. Um, I if this doesn't ring a bell, probably when I start talking about it, you'll, you'll remember. A um, couple of weeks ago, tragically, there was a, a murder-suicide not far from here, about a mile as the crow flies. Um, what, what came out was that um, Mark Short, the father you see here, um, for reasons not completely understood, because of course you could never understand what would lead someone to do this, um, killed his three children and his wife and the family pet, and then killed himself. She was planning on leaving him that day. There had been a number of calls um, regarding domestic disturbances. Yeah, it's tragic. And I, Andrew and I got an email from some local pastors who said, hey, we have no idea what to do about this, but we feel like we should do something. Can we just get together and talk, figure out what it looks like? And so we did. We, we met with uh, a number of pastors. If, if you're on our Facebook page, you probably saw we posted this image, had like all of these pictures of these different church signs that were kind of saying our you know, our solidarity with the Wilson community, our prayers for them. But one of the, the kind of most disheartening and, uh, I don't know, curious things about the conversation was, you know, a number of the pastors knew people in the neighborhood. And so we're like, oh, so you know people in the neighborhood, so you have connections. They're like, yeah, nobody really knew them. Like, yeah, we, we have a family or two who, who live there, but, but no one knew them. And so I just kind of walked away thinking, like, yeah, yeah, um, that's, that's kind of how this works, right, that neighbors just don't know each other. And then a friend who attends here and I were on the phone, and she was like, yeah, my son lives two doors down from them. I said, really? Did he, 
did he know them? No, it's really weird. The, the community was actually really close. They'd do things together. They'd, they'd have like barbecues in the neighborhood together. But those, those guys wouldn't come. I mean, once in a while, one of them might show up. But basically, they just stayed to themselves. No one knew them. They, they were isolated, alone. And there are a few things that are more tragic in my mind than someone who's surrounded by people and is utterly alone and isolated. But that is the experience for many, many people. Maybe some of you in here, definitely some of your neighbors, some of your family, some of your coworkers, to be constantly surrounded by people but to feel utterly and totally alone. I was doing some reading on this, so I have a, a couple of quotes. I, I, I might have overdone it on the quotes this morning, but there's some things that I thought were, were just fascinating to me, helpful in framing this. There's a, a writer named Roth Duthit, I think. Maybe I'm pronouncing his name horribly, but he, he writes editorials for the New York Times. And he was, he was noticing connections between, as he was reading some studies, he was noticing connections between loneliness and suicide. And he was quoting a, a University of Virginia sociologist named Brad Wilcox. And he said, there's a strong link between suicide and weakened social ties. People, and especially men, become more likely to kill themselves when they get, when they get disconnected from society's core institutions, marriage, religion, etc., or when their economic prospects take a dive. And he goes on in this article to kind of talk about how they see this play out. But the fact that, of course, there, there are economic reasons, right? Like if there's desperation in terms of your financial situation, that's difficult. But understood in, in conjunction with isolation, it becomes deadly. Because it's not just the like, oh no, I have a job. It's the hopelessness and despair that comes from feeling isolated and totally alone in the world. Slate Magazine ran an article on this in 2013 by a... a a reporter named Jessica Olin. She writes about how loneliness impacts our physical well-being. She says, loneliness is a serious health risk. Studies of elderly people and social, social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die prematurely. The increased mortality risk is comparable to that from smoking. And loneliness is about twice as dangerous as obesity. Social isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Loneliness is breaking our hearts, but as a culture, we rarely talk about it. Loneliness has doubled. 40% of adults in two recent surveys said they were lonely, up, up from 20% in the 1980s. And then finally, there was a recent article in the Washington Post, just done earlier this year, uh, by Pulitzer Prize winner Amy Ellis Nutt. And she describes loneliness as a growing public health hazard. She says... The pain of loneliness is like the pain of hunger. It's a biological signal that something is wrong. Loneliness is one of the most deadly, destructive diseases that we face in affluent Western culture. And yet it's so often not talked about because it's so shameful for someone 
who's supposed to be successful, who's supposed to have their life together, to admit that they feel alone. And so it grows, and it, it feeds the shame and the sense that no one understands me. No one gets what I'm going through. Everyone else must be happy. Look at their lives. It's clear. They're not lonely. What's wrong with me? And it's destructive. Obviously, it doesn't always lead to these extreme situations like what we see with the shorts. That's, that's very rare, thank God. But it is a factor. And even more than that, it, it's a factor in increasingly destructive patterns in our lives, in the lives of your friends, your family members, your coworkers, and probably some of you. We cannot thrive as humans alone, isolated. We weren't made for that. You go back to Genesis, and again, in this, this early narrative, you hear God say, it's not good for man to be alone. You weren't made for that. This is why when Jesus prays his final prayer for his followers, before he, he goes to the cross, before he dies, rises again, he prays that they would reflect the self-giving love of God in their lives in the world. One of his primary concerns is that their lives would reflect the reality of the self-giving love of God. He says this in John chapter 17. This is a prayer that he's praying to God the Father. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The primary way that Jesus intends for the world to understand who God is and what it means to follow him is for us to learn to love one another. That is shockingly simple and at the same time incredibly difficult. But that's the grand, like that's the amazing plan, right? It's not like, you know, 12 pages of complex formulas and whatever. It's love one another. Live in unity. Reflect the self-giving love of God with one another. This is how we thrive as individuals and how others come to understand that they are loved by their creator. How they come to find their place in God's story is by experiencing love. Relationships. Connection. That is the way that that Christ intends to welcome people into light and life and hope and meaning. Relationships. Interestingly, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, who if, if you're into literature, um, not particularly, uh, he, he never kind of identified himself as particularly a theist or an atheist, but kind of always floated back and forth. But a brilliant author said this in his autobiography, Palm Sunday. He said, what should young people do with their lives today? 
many things, obviously, but the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. He kind of tapped it, even, even as a person, uh, he personally was very fond of Jesus. Wouldn't identify himself necessarily as a follower. But he tapped into this kind of fundamental reality that what people most need is the courage to build communities that provide meaningful connection, that help solve the problem of loneliness in the world, that that is what's needed. That's why relationships matter so much to us, because we believe that's how we live our full lives and how we invite our friends and our family members, our coworkers into full life with Christ and with others, is through relationships. That's how it works. Now, as I wrap up here, a, a quick word about that. There are some of you who this has been about 25 minutes of completely exhaust, exhausting conversation, right? Like everything I'm saying just makes you feel like I'm asking you to kind of sit in a room full of extroverts and allow them to suck the life right out of you. Um, I get it. As an extrovert, I know over the years I have not done a great job of realizing that like, oh, not everyone just likes constant activity and, and question asking and people being really interested in them. Like that can actually exhaust people. Um, so I, I think it's really important to say that this is not, I don't, Jesus is not saying you need to become like the social juggernaut in your community. You need to be, always be the person having conversations with lots of people and always being around people. When you're not around people, you need to feel bad about not being around people and get around people, right? Like, like that's not helpful. In fact, if that's you, and I can be guilty of that at times, that's probably a bad thing. Like, that's probably pointing to some issue going on that you need to kind of work through. And yes, I am working on that. Um, so this, not everyone responds to this the same way. Meaningful relationship does not look the same for everyone. It's not supposed to. For some of you, just showing up here is a really brave, courageous experience. Showing up in a room full of people. <laughs> I have a, a particular friend who, he, just being in the room is a real step of faith and trust and hope to be here, to be greeted by people in the lobby. He regularly, quickly exits as soon as we're done so that he doesn't have to encounter people. Not because he doesn't like people, but it's an exhausting experience. From time to time, we'll do things where I'm like, hey, talk to your neighbor about this thing. And every time he's like mad at me, like, why do you make us do that, right? Like, for me, I'd be like, oh, cool, I get to meet this person. Um, but for some of you, you're like, please just don't make me talk to someone, just don't make me talk to somebody, right, right, right? Okay, so for some of us, just showing up is a courageous act. And if that's you, keep showing up. Keep showing up. As Woody Allen famously said, uh, showing up is 80% of life. So if you show up, you're most of the way there. So show up. Keep showing up. Now, some of us need more than that. Many of us need more than that. You need more than just showing up. You, you need steps to engage in more meaningful relationships. And that's, that's kind of why the things that we do exist. And they don't do that perfectly. But, you know, if, if you're someone who's saying, what I really need is people that I can talk to, people I can, you know, I don't, I don't need, like, closest friends, but I just kind of, I want to know some people. I want some more relationships. 
Community group is a great thing for that. You know, it's not the place where we expect you to find your closest friends. It's a place we expect you to connect, build some friendships, have some meaningful conversations, hopefully learn and grow. For some of you, that's a huge step. Showing up to a small group like that is terrifying. But it might be a good next step for you. For some of you, it's volunteering to serve. The last thing you want to do is be forced to have a conversation with someone for five minutes that you've never met before. That's not, it's not a character defect. For some of us, that's just how we're wired. It's difficult. It's exhausting. And you function, you, you find yourself most alive when you're working side by side with people. And you get to know people better when you're actually doing something with them, not being forced to sit down and, and drink coffee and talk to the, look at their face. Right? So, so maybe for you, the next step in connecting is finding a place to volunteer. Right? Maybe it's, it's talking to the deacon team and saying, hey, I'd be happy to make a meal for someone. I'll show up, give them their meal, say hi. Then we'll know each other and I'll leave and it'll be great. Right? Like, maybe that's you. May, maybe you want to be the guy who's like, hey, when there's a project that needs to be done and there's a, you need a couple of people to do it, let me know and I'll show up and I'll do it. M maybe that's the step. Maybe it's volunteering with kids or, or, or in worship or, or with youth or whatever. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's checking out the, the guys or, or ladies' night. You do want some, some conversation with people who are maybe going through similar things you're going through, people in your stage of life. A and maybe you want to show up to one of the guys or ladies' nights, have a good drink, have some good conversation. There's lots of different kind of ways you can connect here. I'd invite you to think about what the next step could be for you. But, of course, just like when we talked about generosity... There's something really important about receiving, but there's also something really important about giving. There's something vital about being people who are not just concerned about how am I connected to others, but how am I helping other people feel connected, right? And so this is an invitation for you to take another step towards connecting relationally for your well-being, but also to think about how might, how might God be inviting you to take a risk to connect relationally with someone who you think might feel kind of isolated, who might need meaningful connection. What could that look like for you, looking outside of yourself? So maybe, maybe there's an elderly person who lives on your street, who you know their family lives far away, they don't get many visitors, and you could have them over for coffee, dinner, stop by and say hi. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe there's a coworker who you know always kind of keeps to himself or herself sitting off in the corner. And you can invite them to eat lunch with you or take five minutes to ask them how their week's going, how their family's doing. Maybe there's a friend you've noticed is starting to withdraw and, and you've wanted to call them, but you just haven't had the time. Maybe you need to carve out 15 minutes to make that phone call. Maybe there's someone who, you know, rather than you just showing up to guys or ladies night, maybe there's a buddy, a friend who would really benefit from just hanging out and meeting some people. Maybe you need to invite them. The invitation for all of us is to both be people who are deeply connected in whatever way makes sense for us, but also offering those connections for others. One last one, I, I, th I think... Um, you know, to, to give kind of a, a, a picture of the spectrum. Some people do this really well here. You know, we have some people here who just naturally mentor people well. 
And maybe you're someone who you don't love big crowds, but you really enjoy one-on-ones. Maybe you ought to think about mentoring or, or looking for a mentor. You know, if you're someone who wants to invest in someone, but you're like, I don't know, uh, you know, are, are, you know, I don't know who I would invest in. I don't know what that would look like. Come talk to me. Come talk to Andrew. You know, m- maybe there's a teenager in your life who's having a rough time who you could invest in. Maybe there's a teenager here who we could connect you with. Think about how you might mentor. But some of you, all right, so I, I you know, there are some who, who those things are really tough for. Some of you, you love the limelight. You love parties. You love creating big spaces for people to come. In fact, you're kind of like me. You love the lots and lots of kind of really, you know, shallow connecting kind of spaces, right? You do that really well. And you get a little bit more comfortable in the, the, the kind of deeper conversations. Those, those are difficult. Maybe you need to throw a block party, right? Like if that's your thing, if you're that person, do it. Throw a party, have people over to your house. That's great. Yet you can be the facilitator of meaningful connections. So, so Andrew and Carmen, I didn't tell Andrew I was going to share this story, so he'll tell me later if it's okay. Um, Andrew and Carmen uh, and their family just moved to the area, and they decided, you know, obviously they don't know anyone. They're from Texas. They wanted to get to know people, so they decided they were just going to kind of have some food and invite their neighbors over, right? So rather than waiting for their neighbors to invite them over, they're going to do the opposite, invite their neighbors over. And Andrew said it was kind of funny. Like there was this, there were these two neighbors who've lived beside each other for, I don't know, like 20 years. And one of them came up to me afterwards, and he's like, thanks so much for doing this. this. This guy and I haven't spoken for the last 12 years, and this was the first time we had, like, a meaningful conversation, right? Which sounds a little like, oh, that's funny, but I guarantee you those, those people exist in your neighborhood. They might be your neighbors. I mean, you don't have to be the person who has all the relationships. You can be the facilitator of the relationships. That might be you. So think about who you are and how you're wired and how you might be able to offer this to people in your lives. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, and sometimes it's really difficult. Like, it's not like, even when people are isolated or, or alone, it's not like you, you come and you're like, hey, you want to hang out? And they're always like, yes, I've been waiting for you. Sometimes, no. Um, and, and so, you know, there can be a reason why people are alone, right? Um, and so, you know, it does take discernment. It takes, takes courage for us to put ourselves out there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not easy. But I do, think it's, I, I do think it is what so many of us need. Um, one last thought as we kind of transition. I'm, I'm going to close this, and then we'll end with worship. This takes courage. None of us, I, I would guarantee you that if I surveyed all of you, there might be two out of however many people are here this morning who would go, yeah, I think I have time for that. Like, I have time in my schedule to, to have coffee with someone. Or, no, none of us feel that. Like, we're, we're packed. This, it takes courage choose to value something that doesn't just kind of appear on your schedule magically because someone else puts it there. Like to carve out that space and say, no, this matters. And so I'm going to make sure that, you know, whatever it is shows up on my calendar, that I put it there, that I make time for people. It takes courage. You're going to have to say no to some other things to say yes to this. But I do think it's worth it. I do think this is what we were made for. This is why we value this. And this is what we so imperfectly try to weave into all that we do. May we continue to do that better. Let me pray for us and then we'll we'll wrap up with a song. Father, I'm really... um, 
you know, talking about the Trinity is always really kind of mind-blowing for me. Um, it, it's very mysterious. Um, at the same time, it's just incredibly compelling to, to hold on to that understanding of you as this being who exists in self-giving love, Father, Son, and Spirit, and invites us into that. That created us to thrive as we step into that love with you and with others. Give us courage as we, as we step into that, as we step into it for ourselves, as we seek out meaningful relationships here at Koinos, and as we seek it for others, as we step into creating space in our lives to offer love to others. Give us wisdom as we try and discern what that looks like for our specific personality and situation. And give us strength to, uh, to, to write that in pen on our calendar so that this becomes a practice that shapes us to be more like you. We ask in Jesus' name.